Brother Mike, won't you come up and church? Let's just stretch our our hands forward and let's just pray. And the the key word that I have tonight is expectation. Let's expect God to move. Thank you, Lord. Father, you are awesome. And we look to you and we look with expectation and we say, Holy Spirit, have your way. Holy Spirit, you are welcome in this place and you have free reign of this place, of our lives, of our hearts, and of this uh, service. So, Lord, we just thank you, Lord, for stirring the anointing within our brother and the wisdom that he has, Lord, the, the hearts, Lord, for your son Jesus that he shares tonight. So, Lord, we just uh, yield to you. We say yes to you. Uh, we open up hearts and minds and ears and eyes, Lord, to experience you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's, Amen. let's welcome Mike. Amen. So good to be, be with you this evening. That is on, isn't it? Yeah. Like my wife to stand up for a second. She told me she didn't want to, but it's okay. <laughs> when I'm up here and have the microphone, I... we've been married 36 years and uh, had our second grandchild on Thursday this week. Little girl. So it's it's great. You're fine. How am I? Good. That's a prophetic greeting. You know, if, if you're going to be prophetic, you got to know that what the other people are. But um, I heard a story one time, and it was a young man, a uh, young minister, going to visit someone, an elderly lady in the church sick, and he went to visit this lady, and as he was spending time with her, uh, sitting by the side of her bed talking to her, uh, she had a bowl of peanuts there, and through the course of the conversation, he ate all of her peanuts, and he was so embarrassed at the conclusion of the time because he realized he'd eaten all of her peanuts. He said to her, I'm so sorry, I've eaten all your peanuts. She looks at him and says, it's okay. I don't, can't eat peanuts anyway. And besides, I sucked off all the chocolate yesterday. <laughs> now, I want you to turn to the person next to you and, and just tell them it's not all about you. Boy, you didn't, you didn't say that very loud to one another. I mean, most places, people have been waiting a long time to say that to the person next to them. But it is a, a great joy to be with you this evening. Uh, Mark called me, I think it was Tuesday morning. And first he said, look, can you be with me this Sunday? I thought it was Sunday, he said. Or su- this, this, for church this weekend, well, my mind just thought Sunday. So I said, well, look, I'm actually somewhere else. And then as we talked on, he said, actually, I said, well, do you meet on Sunday or when do you actually meet? And he goes, oh, it's Saturday night. And I said, well, I am available Saturday night. So that's how I, he got me here this week. Um, but I think it was Bob asking me just a little bit before the meeting, do I travel much? And I was saying, I think I've been away from home about 15 or 16 weeks. And then Monday I go away for three weeks again. But uh, God has been good. God is a good God, isn't he? He's a good, good God. And it's wonderful when we begin to realize that. So this evening, I'm gonna, I just talk kind of like I'm talking now most of the time. But I want to talk and share some things because I think we have a, a mystical mindset with reference to the prophetic. And I want to try to demystify the prophetic. From uh, You know, you need to understand that there's no difference from a person operating in the prophetic than you or me. Everybody puts their trousers on one leg at a time unless you're a one-legged man. And even then, you'd probably still put it on one leg at a time. But in reality, we need to understand that because when we begin to see that, we won't elevate people up. 
But the Word of God says that in Ephesians, the fourth chapter, verse 10 through 13, it talks about equipping the saints in the fivefold ministry of apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. It's to equip the people, to establish the people, help the people to rise to become what God wants them to be. And in my perspective, that's the role of anybody that's prophetic, is actually to come in and empower the people to hear God more clearly. Empower the people to see and be able to discern and be able to operate. And I think that uh, one of the difficulties I see in the body of Christ today is that so often when we hear the prophetic, people go with the expectation and idea, I'm going because I want a word. And never with the idea of being empowered or being equipped themselves to be utilized by God. And so uh, this evening I'm going to be sharing around that because I want us to understand that God has called us as a people to be a prophetic culture. And in being a prophetic culture, uh, we will impact everyone around us. Um, if you can go ahead and put that first being perfect. God, you're right on top. Let me move to the side here. Jeez. Let's go to the second slide there. Uh, a prophetic culture, it, in my opinion, is having the abilities and powers of a prophet as a person and affecting the, my wife doesn't like this definition, but the sum total of ways of living built upon by a group of human beings and transmitting it from one generation to another. In other words, in other words basically, we operate in a prophetic realm and we impact generation after generation after generation. You see, in Isaiah, the ninth chapter, it talks about the increase of his government, there will be no end, which basically means this, that the anointing that you have in your life today is the least it will ever be because his government and his increase, it's ever increasing. It's ever increasing. So it's always expanding. And God wants us to have a mindset, expectation for expansion. God wants to use us. So I want you to turn to the person next to you and just tell them, hey, God wants to use you. I hope I didn't hear, I don't hear any of you. guys are a little more quiet than some churches I've been at. And sometimes I've heard on occasion someone look at somebody and say, God wants to use you? <laughs> That's not what we want, but we want to understand it. But as we get started, and I'm going to try to consolidate this just about a six or seven hours teaching, just I'm going to try to consolidate it into to about 30 minutes because we want to allow time for God to impart and to touch and to do some significant things. And uh, one of the things that's important for us to begin to understand and see is that Jesus is king, Jesus is priest, Jesus also operated as a prophet. And in that role, he is still a model to us for us to operate in as well because uh, our responsibility as uh, seeing him as priest is, is reconciling man to God and God to man. And uh, as king, we worship him as king. We recognize he's the king of the kingdom. But as prophet, we need to understand and see how he operated. And so uh, I'm going to give you some scriptures. I'm not going to read them all because of time. But in John, the fourth chapter, it speaks to us. It's the story of the woman at the well. And you know the story well. You've probably heard it many, many times. And don't worry, we'll get to what I'm gonna, what you wanted me to talk about <laughs> in a little bit, Mark. <laughs> Just a couple of minutes. But in the fourth chapter, uh, well, first off, 
In Matthew, the 13th chapter, 57th verse, Jesus makes a declaration. He's ministering in his own village, and he declares, a prophet is without honor in his own town. So basically, he was acknowledging, I'm operating as a prophet. These people aren't recognizing me. And when you look at that story, uh, when you look at that story, Matthew 13, verse 57, he declares that. But when you look at that story, it says, first, the people were amazed at his words. And then they were offended by his words because they recognized and realized, isn't this just the carpenter's son? And then they got offended. And it says, then he made that profound statement, a prophet was without honor in his own area. So in the fourth chapter of John, he, there he is meeting the Samaritan woman. He asks her to give him a drink. She speaks to him and she says, well, you know, uh, you Jews say we're to worship in Jerusalem. And we Samaritans say, we're to worship at the mountain over there. And Jesus said, well, look, there's coming a time when you'll neither worship at the mountain nor will you worship in Jerusalem, but those that will follow God will worship Him in spirit and in truth. And you see, when we are born again, our spirits come alive. Our spiritual being should be the most attuned thing within us. Isn't that true? We have spiritual eyes. We have spiritual ears. I believe we live in a dual society of earth and heaven and it's mixed together and that in that process we see we hear we understand we know what god is doing and operating most of the time what i've discovered though is most christians operate in a human realm even though they've been born again and their spirit has come alive so we want our spirits to not only be alive but for us to operate in that dimension that impacts the earth because isn't that wasn't that the lord's prayer lord he's told us to pray thy kingdom come thy will be done on earth as it is being done in heaven so we want to see that come here so jesus speaks on to this woman he speaks to her and then he asked her um the woman jesus asked her he says go call your husband she says i don't have a husband and he says that's right you've had five husbands and the man you're with isn't your husband now and that's when she makes this profound statement in verse 19. She says, Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. <laughs> Why? Because he told her what was not known. He told her of her past. He told her of her present and present time. And in that process of time, she goes to the city. She tells the people, I met a man that told me all about myself. And it says the village came out. And as a result of them coming out, it says they begged him to remain there and he remained for a few days and it says many became Christ's followers. That's one of the things I want to say to you that if we begin to operate in the prophetic, what will transpire is many people should become followers of Christ as a direct result of the prophetic operating through us. Then in the ninth chapter, the, the second thing there takes place in the ninth chapter uh, it's a story of Jesus healing the blind man on the Sabbath day. And uh, he heals him. He's taken before the Pharisees in the temple. And the Pharisees are challenging him with reference to, uh, our, our, to the parents first. And then the parents say to, to the Pharisees, look, he's an adult. Just deal with him. Speak to him. So they start speaking to him. And they ask him, well... Uh, you know, who did this and why did this happen on the Sabbath? And it says, then they were saying among themselves, surely this must have been the devil. And this man that was healed had enough gumption and sense 
to be able to respond and says, look, that can't be possible because nothing good comes from evil. Only good comes from good. And that's a great point for us as Christians to realize good comes from God. God who is a good God cannot manufacture bad. It would be beyond His character and His nature. And in that process they go on and they didn't like it that He corrected their their philosophy because, see, in, in Hebrew culture that the Jewish people believed if they followed all the rules and they worshipped God and they did all the right things, nothing would come against them or harm them. And you read that in Deuteronomy 28, chapter, verse 1-14. It speaks about uh, the blessings of God that will follow them that honor and worship God. So even the disciples said, well, who sinned? His father or his parents? Or the father or mother or him did he, that caused him to be blind when he was blind for birth? And Jesus said, neither. This was for the glory of God. So eventually the Pharisees spoke to, to him and said, well, who did this? And he said, it was Jesus. And they, he, they said, well, who's Jesus? And he said, he is a prophet. And that's the second thing I want you to begin to understand is that with a prophetic ministry, there will be healings, there will be signs, there will be wonders. The supernatural will take place through the hands of the prophetic. And it's important that we grasp that and understand that because God wants to use us to be His hands and to be His feet. And when you look at Jesus, He is our example. And uh, we could go on in uh, Luke, the, the third chapter, verse 21. It talks about Jesus being baptized. And it says, when He was baptized, it says, Heaven opened, the Father spoke, said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And it says, The Holy Spirit descended upon Him. Then in chapter 4, verse 1, it says, He came and returned from the river full of the Holy Spirit. So it didn't just descend upon him. It filled him to overflowing or overflowing there. And in the second part of that chapter 4 verse 1 it says, and then the Spirit led him into the wilderness where he was tempted of the, by the devil. And when he was tempted, where was the main point that he was tempted? He was tempted in the area of his identity. The devil said, if you are the Son of God, do this. Isn't that right? And you know what? What I've discovered as Christians, where is the main point of contention with the enemy, with you and I? It deals with our identity. And I'll speak to that in a few minutes a little bit more. And then in the 14th verse, it says, when he returned from the Jordan, after the temptation was completed at that time, it says, he came back in the power of the Spirit. And then in verse 18 and 19, he stands up and makes a declaration. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He's anointed me. And He tells what He's anointed us to do. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the leper. Freely we receive, freely give. That's what He came back in the power of. And you see, Jesus is our model, isn't He? What are some of the mandates then? There are three specific mandates I'm going to mention and take about two minutes with. And that first one deals with Jesus, when He came, what did He come to do? He came to seek and to save the lost. Isn't that true? Well, in Corinthians, what's the mandate He gave to you and I? How many of you know what your ministry is? I want to tell you, every one of you have the exact same ministry. It says God has given to everyone a ministry of reconciliation. Everyone can reconcile men to God and God to men. That's the same mandate that Christ had when He went and He sought 
and look for the lost. Second, in 1 John 3, verse 8, it says that the Son of Man came to destroy the works of the evil one. Didn't He give that same mandate to His disciples? As you go, preach, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, cast out devils. Freely you've received, freely give. Isn't that the same mandate? The third one is that one that, and this is why I had you speak to one another and say it's not all about you. It says in Matthew, uh, the 20th chapter there, it talks about Jesus saying, I came to serve and not be served. Which says, He came with a mindset that it was not all about Him. And you know what I've discovered? My perception is often is that most Christians, when they go to church, the mindset, it's all about me. Hey, you know, the worship just didn't quite do it for me tonight. It was cut too short. You know, I was just getting into it, and we cut it off. Or I don't like the flowery shirt that guy's wearing. I just couldn't hear what was being trying to be communicated. Because it's why? Because our mindset is it's all about us. Now, how do we move forward with reference to that? I want to share with you out of 1 Corinthians, the 14th chapter. We'll get into what I'm going to share about the prophetic. I've got about another 18 minutes to try to get through this. It's okay. I'm going to cut out a lot. (laughs) Did I say it the way I was supposed to there, honey? She told me exactly what... No, I'm kidding. (laughs) That's not her at all. (laughs) But here's where I want to start with in uh, 1 Corinthians, the 14th chapter, verse 24 and 25. It says, But if an unbeliever or someone who does not understand comes in while everybody is prophesying, well, first off, I want to say, that's you can put up the next slide. That's the next thing. Oh, the next one, sorry. <laughs> that's the two things that are essential and necessary to operate in a prophetic culture. You need unbelievers and people who don't understand. And how many of you know there are plenty of them around? Isn't that true? But here it says, what did that scripture said? It says, but if an unbeliever or someone does who does not understand comes in while everybody is prophesying. Can you imagine what holy chaos we'd have if everybody is prophesying? Well, there should be a corrective word there, shouldn't there? But you know what? There is no corrective word. There's no corrective word that's given there. But what is given there is a a mindset, a stretching of the mindset to begin to comprehend and understand what takes place when we begin to understand the prophetic and the measure that God desires it to operate through within the church. And how does that begin to happen? Let's put up the next slide for a second there, okay? Five things it says will take place. It says this. It says... He will be convinced by all that he is a sinner. It does not mean or it is not saying that his sins will be revealed. What it says is that when he comes in, because of you, conviction will fall upon his heart and he will recognize he is a sinner. The second thing there, it says, and he will be judged by all. You are not going to judge him, but he will judge himself by what God is doing in and through you. Thirdly, the secrets of his heart will be laid bare. Fourthly, he will fall down and worship God. Fifthly, he'll declare God is really among you and in your midst. And when that begins to transpire and take place, we have truly begun to operate in a prophetic culture and a prophetic way. Now, as we look at that and evaluate that, let's go back up there. And, because how does that work? Because there's no corrective word. 
And the reason that we need to understand this is because most of our perceptions of the prophetic is it's somebody comes up, takes the microphone, and gives a prophetic word. But what we need to understand is with a prophetic culture, it embraces all of the gifts and all that God has given to the church for it to operate and move. And you'll see as you look at Christ, even when He ministered to the Samaritan woman, He spoke to her of her past. He spoke to her of her present. He spoke to that village's future and what God was going to do with the future that you'll neither worship in Jerusalem nor the mountain, but you'll worship in spirit and in truth. And as we begin to understand that and comprehend that, something shifts in our mindset and we begin to see with simplicity how God wants to use us. Now, how does that work in our midst? Let's say this room is completely full. Every chair is full, except this chair right here. One chair is vacant. So this visitor who comes in doesn't know anybody, never been here before. He comes in and he sits down. And as he sits down, our sister right here, as he sits down, all of a sudden her back begins to hurt. And as a result, her right leg goes numb. And she turns to her husband and says, you know, honey, I don't know. Since we started to worship my leg, my back started to hurt and my leg went numb. And he looks at her and says, honey, it's not all about you. And she says, hey, maybe it isn't about me. You know, it only started to hurt when that man sat down. Then she turns to that man and says, pardon me, sir, are you struggling with a lower back problem and does it cause your right leg to go numb? And he goes, how did you know? And Mark's mother sitting here, Mrs. Harper. I won't go wrong by calling her Mrs. Harper. <laughs> Mrs. Harper here, as this man is sitting there next to her, the name Claire comes to her mind. And she has a picture of like a broken heart. And she's thinking and she turns to, to her son-in-law, James, right? Turns to James and says, do you know Claire here? And uh, he goes, no, there's no Claire in our church. And she goes, well, this name Claire just keeps sticking out. And I keep seeing a broken heart. And he goes, well, when did this happen? And he goes, well, about that time that man sat down. So he says, well, why don't you ask him? So he tur- she turns to him and says, sir, does the name Claire mean anything to you? Have you got a broken heart because of her? And this guy goes, how did you know? And as that begins to transpire and take place, this guy begins to say, hey, these people don't know me. They don't know anything about me. They don't know my history. They don't know my past. They don't know my health hear that God's revealing to them he must be in this place. And then the lady behind him taps him on the shoulder and shares something with him. And you see, when we begin to understand that and begin to operate that way and begin to move that way, one thing we have to understand, if unbelievers and people who don't understand are not coming into our meetings, then we have to take that prophetic culture out to where they're at in the marketplace. So that when we go out, all we do is set our course for the day and ask God to operate within us, submitting ourselves to Him and resisting the enemy. And as we do that, then we can be available to hear what God is wanting to say and do. And see, to me, this is simplistic. I began teaching my daughter when she was four years of age. She's 32 now. And when she was four, I would just say, Joanna, you've received Christ into your heart. The Word of God says this, that if you submit yourself unto Christ, you can resist the enemy and he must flee. So let's just do that afresh and anew. So I would say, Joanna, let's submit to the Lord. She would do that. And she would say, I resist you, devil. You get away from me and leave me alone and don't bother me. And I'd say, okay. We'd sit at the back of the church because a lot of times we would have free worship. 
And so during that time, I would say to her, okay, Joanna, let's ask the Lord, what's the next worship song He would like to have us sing? And you know what? 98 out of 100 times, she told me exactly. She'd close her little eyes, and she'd say, Daddy, I believe God's saying the next song should be this. And guess what? Every single time but two did she tell me the next song that the worship person began to play. And I would reinforce within her, see, you're hearing God. See, you're picking up what God is saying. And I've come to the conclusion through the years that the two times she missed it, I actually don't think she missed it. I actually think the worship guys did. (laughs) Why? Because because the Word of God says that we got to become like little children to enter into the kingdom of God. Isn't that true? So, as we begin to understand that and begin to see that, I want you to... uh, I'm just going to tell you the story. 1 Samuel 9 and 1 Samuel 10, it's a story of Saul. He's looking for his father's donkeys. And he can't find them. And eventually he says, hey, we've been out here three or four days. Before long, my father's going to be worried about us. So how do we... Uh, we need to just go back if we can't find these. Is there a prophetic person around that can maybe help us out? And one of the guys says, well, in the next village, uh, Samuel's there. So they go to the next village. Samuel's waiting at the gate. And as he sees him, he says, Ah, the hope of all Israel is upon you. And Saul looks at him, and what does Saul say? Saul says, Hey, I'm from the smallest uh, tribe in... uh, My family's the smallest family in that tribe. You can't be saying that and meaning that to me. He says, Come in, you're the special guest. And he takes him in, and a banquet has already been prepared, and he tells the chef to bring out the chief piece of meat that he set aside for this man because this man is the honored guest and then the next morning he anoints him and he tells him in uh, first samuel the 10th chapter and uh, the fifth and the sixth verse he says something that is significant and we need to hear this in the fifth chapter he says after he anoints him he says this after that you'll go up to Gibeath of God where there is a Philistine outpost and as you approach the town you'll meet a procession of prophets coming down from the high place with lyres, tambourines, flutes, harps being played before them and they'll be prophesying and the spirit of the Lord will come upon you in power and you will prophesy with him and you will be changed into a different person. And you see, when we begin to prophesy and when we begin to administrate that prophetic culture through our lives, our mindset, there's a shift that takes place and we begin to see ourselves differently. We begin to see ourselves that God can use me. And you know, when someone says, man, how did you know that? You know what? Something lifts your spirit within you and you begin to realize, hey, God can use me. I want you to put that last slide on there. The one looks like an hourglass. Now, have a look at this, because often we've come out of the... Can you focus out a little better, or is that my eyesight? That's about the best it gets. Okay. We've all come from the kingdom of darkness, and we know that Jesus is the doorway, don't we? And you see, when we receive Christ into our heart, that door is shut. That's what the Word of God says. And the Word of God says... um, I'm digging for you and me. This is us, little men. It says that you are hid in Christ in God. Like double indemnity protection. That's what transpires. The door is shut. The relationship with Christ has been established. 
But how many of you recognize, even though we've received Christ, we've blown it? That's why I brought my wife along. She can tell you there's been times I've blown it. And in that process of blowing it, the enemy comes just like it did to Jesus. If you were really a Christian, you wouldn't have done that. Has that ever happened to you? If you were really a Christian, you wouldn't have said that. And before long, we're thinking, man, I need to, I need to recommit my life to Christ because what he's done, he's got us to doubt the solidity of our relationship established by Christ that is secure. And you see, it's like what happens then is we stay by the door and it becomes like a revolving door because we're not sure. We want to make certain that we're Christian and that we are born again. And you see, what has affected sin does affect our fellowship with the Father when we blow it. But that's why the Word of God says we have an advocate, Jesus, who approaches the Father on our behalf and presents us faultless to the Father. And the only thing that has been impeded is our fellowship with the Father. And when that has been impeded, all we have to say is, Father, I'm sorry I blew it. You look at the prodigal son. He was a son. He went away, took his inheritance. He squandered his inheritance, but he came to a realization. He says, I realize I've sinned against my father and I've sinned against heaven. He says, if I go back to the father, at least the father will let me be a servant. I'll live better than I'm living here. And you know what? The father, it says, he was looking for the son. And when he saw him from afar, he ran to the son gave him his signet ring, put a new cloth on him, had the party of a lifetime for him, killing the fatted calf. That son never ceased being a son. He had just been dead, and now he is alive to life again. See, we can't be continue to be born again and born again and born again. We're born into the kingdom of God, and we're solid there. But in that process, the enemy wants to hoodwink us and once we're, when we're out of fellowship, when we blow it, he wants us to feel inferior and inadequate and incapable to be used by the king. But the Father puts that signet ring upon you and I and says, you're my children, come on. And so you see, when we begin to see that, we move forward in the kingdom of God into all that God has for it. How many of you are aware there's more that God has for us than has met our eye? God has more. Isn't that true? Go back to that that one, the triangle looking up. And uh, I want you just to see, and it's not because of value. I just want you to understand there's a distinction and a difference. The office of a prophet has been given by Jesus. The gifts of the Holy Spirit have been given by the Holy Spirit. But there's a faith level, according to 1 Corinthians, that should be verse 14, or chapter 14, verse 31, where it says in chapter 14, verse 31, it says, all of you can prophesy. Let's just look there because I want you to see that because I'm going to go into sharing how we move into that and how we can begin to do that. And i got about eight minutes to do it. Seems like I'm stretching it every little time, huh? <laughs> One thing I've discovered is the Holy Spirit's never in a hurry. But let's look here. You know, I grew up, I've been, I've been born again for more than 55 years. I came to know the Lord as a four-year-old. I was raised in a Pentecostal come charismatic church, went to a Pentecostal come charismatic college, went on to another school as well, Christ for the Nations in Dallas, 
uh, and went through there and been in ministry since 1974, quite a while. And my whole life, I grew up with a mindset and understanding that, and perhaps you've heard this as well, there should be two prophecies or three at the most in the East. You ever heard that? I want to show you, just so you can begin to see, it says in verse 29 of chapter 14, it says two or three prophets should speak, and the others should weigh carefully what is said. I want you to understand, remember that triangle, the prophets is an office, that's a distinction of a different function, that it says two or three prophets should speak in a meeting. And then verse 31, because you need to see, this is an order to help us to understand things. Verse 31, it says, For you can all prophesy in turn, so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. So why would it say two or three can prophesy, and then in two verses later say, but you can all prophesy? You see, that's that faith level for all of us to operate in. We can all operate in that faith level. Now, how do we begin to do that? Well, it's, it's, we need to understand. One question I like to ask, tell people to ask the question is, how do I operate in this? Ask the question one, would you want to receive what you're going to say to somebody else? It's a simple question. Would you want to receive what you're going to say? Does it edify? Does it encourage? Does it bring comfort to that person? Because you see, that's what's to come through the, the prophetic in our meetings. Not correction, not direction. God's given leadership for correction, and he's given his word for, for correction as well. And leaders correct through the word of God in the church. And for directions, my opinion is that that's not just for all believers to do. That's why the word of God says, let two or three prophets speak, and then let the others weigh carefully, which says we don't just suck up everything that somebody says they're a prophet utters. How many of you remember the story of Agabus? He comes, he takes Paul's belt, wraps Paul's hands with a belt, and says the man's whose hands are wrapped, that if you go up to Jerusalem, the Jews will bind you and the Jews will throw you into prison. How many of you, how many of you know that didn't happen? Yeah, he went up to Jerusalem, his hands got bound, he got thrown into prison, but it wasn't by the Jews, it was by the Romans. What we need to understand with prophecy is we're looking for what is God's intent. What is God's intent here? That's why we weigh carefully. We hold on to the good. Because we find God's intent in it. And See, the Old Testament mindset was that if a prophet spoke and any of it was wrong, then that prophet was taken out and stoned. Well, you know what? That's not how it is in the New Testament. God's grace has been lavished upon His church. And we see in part, we understand in part, and we prophesy in part. We don't get it all. Prophecy is not to our own interpretation. Why do I say that? Because what I've discovered is most people will interpret prophecy from where they're at emotionally and to what they are praying for. Let me give you a good illustration. Let, now you know Mark celebrated last night his 14th anniversary, which with Cara, which is basically going to take place on the seventh. So if you don't know that, they're celebrating their 14th anniversary on the seventh. <laughs> but they celebrated it. They celebrated it last night. I read Facebook and I just happened to see him making these little comments. We're celebrating tonight. <laughs> Too much information, Mark. <laughs> but. 
you all know that he's married. So that's not an issue. So let's just say Mark isn't married, but he's praying for a wife. And a prophetic person comes in and says, the Lord's telling me, brother, that he's bringing you a companion. So Mark's first thought is, thank you, Jesus, I'm getting married. Praise the Lord, I'm getting married. Because that's how, that's what he's praying for. That's where he's emotionally at. That's what he's believing for. And that's what he's wanting. And the prophetic person had a picture that it was a, God was bringing a man that was going to operate like in a Paul and Silas relationship with Mark and that God would use the two of them in ministry impacting others around about. But because of his interpretation, his personal interpretation, out of his emotion and out of what he's praying for, he missed the essence of what God's intent was. And what I've discovered is most of God's people are the same way. I go into some people's house and they want to show me their, all their prophecies and they're all typed out neatly and stay, put on the refrigerator. And you look at some of those and you think, those are never going to happen in a million years. Then you read them because they missed the intent of what God was saying. So when we prophesy, my suggestion is if you're going to, don't share direction, don't share correction, but share things that are going to build up and encourage and strengthen and bring hope within God's people. And uh, as we do that, there are four stages to it. There's the revelation stage, there's the interpretation stage, there's the application stage, and there's the timing stage. And what I've discovered, there's only two prophets in all of Scripture that operated in all four. Yet most believers try to operate in all four. The only two that operated that way was Daniel and Joseph. And isn't it interesting that Nebuchadnezzar was willing to, what? Kill for an interpretation, an accurate interpretation. And Pharaoh was willing to give away half his kingdom for a favorable interpretation. And these men both gave negative prophetic interpretations and they were elevated and promoted and given up to half of the kingdom. So that's why I say the word of God says, let others judge. So if you have a prophetic word and God's showing you, so come share it with your leaders. You receive a prophetic word. Have your leaders assist you in deciphering it and praying over it. And you know what? You don't have to be in a hurry to get an interpretation. Okay? So a couple things I ask. Does it exalt Christ? Does it line up with the Word of God? Does it bring ultimate peace? Does it bear witness to your leaders? Do other prophetic people bear witness to it? And then let's see in time if it comes to pass. You know what? Only some of my prophetic words that have been given to me were given 38 years ago and only now beginning to come to pass. And most of us Christians live in an instant society that we expect if it doesn't happen within three, six, nine months, the guy missed it. I want to tell you, God is not enamored with our time. He's not encumbered by time, space, or matter. He wants to give things to us that will help us, to catapult us, to move forward. And just think of Abraham, what prophetic insight and wisdom God gave him, and it says he never saw the prophetic word come to pass. He only saw it from afar. That doesn't encourage you too much, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> well, Romans 1.11 says this, For I long to see you that I might impart some spiritual gift to you. 
So some of this takes place through impartation. And if it were just impartation, I would be going around touching my head all the time. Lord, I impart to myself all the time. But it isn't that way. God will, even though there's impartation, He will not short-circuit the process that He's working within your life. Acts 19, verse 6 says, And when Paul laid his hands upon them, the Holy Spirit came on them. They began speaking with tongues and prophesying. 1 Timothy 4.14 Do not neglect the spiritual gift within you which was bestowed on you through prophetic utterance with the laying on of the hands of the presbytery. In the 15th verse it says in that same portion of Scripture 1 Timothy 4.15 it says Take pains with these things be absorbed in them so that your progress will be evident to all. That means we can improve in our in administration of how we operate in the prophetic doesn't mean that it all has to be just spontaneous and yay that's the thing of the lord it's not that way we can improve in this i find it incredibly interesting that only one time in scripture can i find where it seems like christ raised his voice and that's when he drove the money changers he got angry drove them out of the temple most of the time he just talked so what are some suggestions for practicing? Because I think we can practice and we can improve. And it's not that we practice because the Holy Spirit doesn't need any practice. It's so that we can practice to administrate in a better way. Isn't that true? So what I tell people is, one, when you get up in the morning, actually prophesy your day. Ask God, submit yourself to God, resist the enemy, and ask God to give you some revelation with reference to your day and write those things down. When you come home, you just look back over what? See if any of those things came to pass. If they didn't come to pass, guess what? Nobody knows. <laughs> You're not learning by coming to the front and having a word, and you share the word, and the pastor says, well, you know, brother, that just wasn't quite right. Because you know what I've discovered? When that happens, people pull back. We don't want you to pull back. We want you to come forward. We want you to be strengthened in the prophetic so you can operate and minister out of this realm. A second way you do that is that uh, you can practice words of knowledge. How many of you came into the meeting with no aches and pains tonight? Hmm? No aches and pains. I tell people, if you go into a meeting with no aches and pains at all, or you go out on a shopping trip with no aches and pains at all, and you're in a store, you're in a church, and you develop aches and pains within your body, then ask the Lord, Lord, are you trying to get my attention? Is there someone near me here you're wanting me to minister to? Because most of the time we're thinking, hey, the enemy's just trying to hoodwink me or get me. And I remember leaning over telling my wife in the early days of ministry, gee, every time when I get together with God's people, the enemy tries to afflict me and cause my back to bother me. And slowly I began to realize it wasn't all about me. And then we become vulnerable. And I can tell you story after story after story. A young guy was in a grocery store recently. I'd taught this. His back, right around his kidney, began to kill him with pain. And as it was hurting so bad, he just said, Lord, I don't know what's going on here. And he thought the words came to his mind, it's not about you. So he looked down the aisle. There was one lady in the aisle. So he said, well, Lord, I'm going to step out. And he goes to this lady. He says, pardon me, ma'am. Are you suffering with great pain in your back, right by your kidney? She goes, how did you know? He goes, you see, it's the goodness of God that leads men to repentance. So he said, because God loves you so much, he revealed to me. And you know, when God reveals something to you, generally I found he heals the person. So he said, do you mind if I pray for you? 
She goes, no, I don't mind. So he prays for her. She's healed. She raises her hand. She starts praising the Lord at at the top of her voice. He's so embarrassed, he tiptoes down the aisle, leaves his cart, leaves the store, and thinks, I'll come back later. You see, all we're doing, we're carriers of the goodness of God. We're releasing His goodness. A friend of mine, this will be the last story I, I tell because I, I just time's gone. But uh, his, a 13-year-old daughter, she was in a mall with two unsaved girls, and they were just walking along. And as they were walking, a guy was walking towards them. And as this guy was walking towards them, he had a limp. And the Holy Spirit spoke to her and said, His name is Michael. He destroyed his knee in a motorcycle accident, and I want to heal him today because I want him to know that I love him. So she goes, oh God, I got my friends, they're not Christians here with me. Is this you? Get behind me, Satan. All the different things. Come on, let's be honest. We do all these different things. So the guy just walked by and after her heart just felt so heavy. She said, well Lord, we're going a different direction, but if he comes towards me ever again, and her thought was, I'll never see him again, so I'm off the hook. If he comes towards me again, I'll know this is really you. So about 10 or 15 minutes later, she and her friends, almost at the end of the mall, the direction they were going, all of a sudden she sees this guy again, and she's thinking, oh no, here he is. So she tells her friend, she goes, watch this, this is going to be fun. So she walks up to him and says, hello, Michael, how are you today? She's only about this high. How are you today, Michael? He goes, well, I'm fine, but do I know you? She goes, well, God sent me and he told me your name and he told me you've been in a motorcycle accident and that's why your knee was crushed and why you're limping and God told me he wants to heal you today. Do you mind if I pray for you? He goes, well, you got my name right. You got the motorcycle accident right. And if God wants to heal me, who am I to, to stand in his way? So she pray, gets down on her knee, prays for the guy. Nothing happens. So she gets up and says, well, how's your knee? He goes, well, I don't feel any different. So she says, well, Jesus prayed three times, so I'm going to pray again. She prays again. She goes, how's your knee? He goes, you know, I've got some feeling in my knee. She goes, well, I'm going to pray again. She prays the third time. By the time she prayed the third time, this guy was able to completely move his knee, had complete mobility. He was walking without a limp. Tears were coming down his cheeks, and she was able to see him rededicate his life to Christ right there in the mall because the goodness of God reached out and touched him. She goes back to her friends. Her friends gave a prime opportunity. She had never shared the gospel with them. They said, what was that? And she was able to tell them, and she led both of them to the Lord as well. You see, God wants to use us. He's, he's not a restricted by our circumstances. Team up with another person if we feel too timid to do something. Let them work with us in tandem. And as we do that, uh, often... Through words of knowledge, that's how God will operate. And out of that, the prophetic will come. And when we begin to do that, we'll see incredible things transpire and take place. And uh, I'm going to stop there. I, I could go on and on and on, but I've got to stop there. But you see, it isn't as complicated as we've made it out to be. It isn't always coming to the front and taking the microphone. It's just going with what God's understanding that God's trying to communicate to us. I've got a friend, I think God communicates a lot of times with us in our dreams. Says things to us. I, this guy I know, uh, 
I meet with some prophetic guys in Nashville, and one of his buddies uh, said he, he had a dream, a very vivid dream. And this is what I tell people. If you have a very vivid dream, give it your best shot. And so this guy was in Eastern Europe, and in this very vivid dream, he saw a lady crouched down by the side of a building. As she was crouched down there, she, he knew he was supposed to help her. So he goes over to her and speaks in English to her, but she understands. She speaks in a language he doesn't understand, but yet within his spirit he understood. And he communicated, I'm going to help you over the wall to get away. She, he helped her and her three kids over the wall. He's climbing over the wall. A bullet hits the wall about two feet from him. It so startles him, he brazes his side up as he falls to the wall, down the wall, and he lands on like a stone and bruises his ribs. Next morning, he gets up to go take a shower, takes off his pajama tops. His whole left side is brazed and bruised. You see, Paul said to us, hey, things took place, and I don't know if I was in my body or if I was in the spirit. I want to tell you there's a dimension in God that transcends where we're at just tangibly right here, right now. God's wanting to expand the girth of our mindset that we're open to what God desires to do. So I just tell people, look, I don't know. Paul even said, hey, there's things I want to tell you, but you're not ready for me to tell you yet. Now, why am I saying that to you? Because I'm just saying it, that, hey, if you have a very, very vivid dream and you see yourself preaching before multitudes of people are doing things, just give it your best shot. <laughs> Maybe you're there. I don't know. Maybe you're there. <laughs>